hear the word of the Lord to you, God's children. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you were left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for these words and how your word is constantly speaking comfort and challenge to us. And most of all, that your word reveals to us who you are, your, your very character. And so we pray that your spirit would come and apply these words to us, that you would teach us how to be parents, how to model our parenting on your great love for us. And so uh, be our teacher, and I, I pray for all who are here that you would apply these words into each of our individual lives, individual families, individual hearts and minds. So we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So we are in our uh, third week on a, a summer series on uh, parenting. We've, I think we have something like 22 kids being born in our church this last year or something like that. So there's quite a lot of children, and that's why we're talking about parenting. And um, this sermon series is actually in, somewhat in order of importance of the topic. So you know, our first topic is on infant baptism, which is really about God's work in the lives of our children, God's faithfulness to his promises to our children, which is the most important thing. Even before anything we do as parents, what God's doing in our, the lives of our children is the most important thing. And then the, two weeks ago, we looked at the topic of love, and how the whole atmosphere and mood of a home being filled with compassion and, and humility and kindness, gentleness. And uh, that this is the second most important thing about parenting is that we love our children, we're, we delight in them. They are be they're beloved to us. And it's only when we have kind of those first two topics in place you haven't listened to those, maybe you, gotta, you go back and listen to those and then think about this sermon in context. Are we ready for this third topic, which is discipline? And uh, why is discipline such an important part of parenting? And, well, the Bible tells us um, that the first truth about our children is that they've been made in the image of God, which means that our children, they reflect to us God's glory. And they're, they're filled with dignity, and that um, we, sh we should, they were made good by God. And so we should, that's why we should delight in them, and we should respect them. That's one of the things we talked about last week. They should be treated with dignity and care. And so we have met much reason to actually say to our children, you are good. Like you could say to your children, you're a good boy, you're a good girl. It's actually a good thing to say to our children, because that's the first truth about them. But um, the second truth about our children is not only that 
they're creating God's image, and they've been washed by Jesus. And so we can say they're good. But also, our children are manipulative, greedy, angry, violent, self-centered liars. That's also true. That's one of the things that, you know, about our truth. It's not only that they were made good and they've been washed by Jesus, but that um, the Bible tells us that um, they are born with a sinful nature. And it's a very, it's a big part of the reality of raising children. I think for anyone who's tried to raise, you know, parent a two or three-year-old, I don't think that should be a controversial statement that our children are, have a rebellious spirit to them. But, you know, in our culture, that's actually not how our culture views children. Our, our culture would primarily say that our children are, are not born sinners, but they're born innocent. And that the reason why we become you know, self-protective and we're liars and we're difficult with people and we sin against people is because we've experienced trauma as children. And so we had to create these, you know, protective measures in order to protect ourselves. Now, of course, that's true in some regard. Childhood trauma will, you know, can deeply affect you for, for much of your life. But those are two very different views of, of these children that are being born into our families. Are they sinful and have a rebellious nature or are they innocent? And which is true? You know, it was interesting, uh, a couple of years ago, I was talking to one of my neighbors, a non-Christian guy, and he made this observation. He says, you know, it's, really, it's very strange that secular people say that children are innocent and they're pure, and yet they have very few children and tend to think children are a burden. And Christians think children are born sinful, and yet they have lots of children and tend to think that they're a blessing. That's strange. Why is it that way? And I think the reason for that is because there's a certain honesty that Christians have about the reality of who we are as parents, that we're sinners as parents, and that our children are sinners. And we face that reality. We confront it. And so having a biblical understanding of the world is going to radically shape how we approach parenting. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the important topic of discipline under these two headings. The why of discipline and the how of discipline. Why should we discipline? How should we discipline? And uh, there are going to be quite a lot of subheadings under those. So this is, bear with me. There's a lot to say uh, on this, on this, on this uh, topic. So first, um, the why of discipline. And you know, uh, the passage I just read to you from Hebrews is probably the most important text in the Bible about the importance of discipline in parenting because it ties uh, parenting to the way that God trains us as his children, right? You saw that there in verse 6. It says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And he says that if God didn't discipline it, us, it would be a sign to us that he doesn't take ownership of us. He doesn't take responsibility of our lives. You know, we're like illegitimate sons if he didn't discipline us. And so it's a, it's a sign of God's devotion to us that he disciplines us. And actually, just recently, Shannon and I watched a, a documentary. It's on Netflix called uh, Undefeated. It's about a football team, an uh, inner city team in Memphis. It's about this coach that goes into this inner city team. You know, they have like 17 players that come out, and they're you know, 0 and 11. There's a terrible team. And he comes in, he kind of revitalizes this program. And one of the, part of the story is about this one kid who was in juvie for about, I, th- I think, a year and a half when he was 15 years old. And then he comes back onto the team. And he's, you know, getting in fights, and he's, he's just a problem on the team. He's just, you know, breaking up the unity, and the coach is constantly working with him, and he's doing reconciliation with him and the other players. And the kid sticks it out the whole season. And then I saw this interview with this kid after, you know, he's in his 20s, and he'd really kind of gotten his life together. I think he was maybe married, and you know, he'd gone to college, and he was really going to make something of his life. And in the interview, he said that 
when people stop being hard on you, when people stop demanding character from you, that's when you know they've given up and they don't care. If people are disciplining you, it is a sign of love and devotion. And here's this inner city kid who he had no, he had no father that, that was in, in his life, and it was a sign to him that the coach was devoted to him, that he, w- that, he dis- that he was disciplined him, and he was constantly hard on him, and he was constantly committed to him. And one of the biggest things for us to take from this passage is that God, when he disciplines us, brings pain into our lives for our good. You know, some of you experience that. You, you, you know that God has brought pain into your lives at certain times, and it was for your good. It's what you needed. You know, my heart was bent on going my own way. I was going to do my own thing. And God brought something in my life I never would have asked for. And it was, it was terrible. And yet it was the thing that brought me back to him. It was the thing that humbled me. It was the thing that softened my heart and drew me near to him. And that could have been, you know, a relational pain. That could have been a something, a circumstance. It could have been physical pain. Something that happened in your body. That God, that's part of how God disciplines us. And this way of God is a model for us as parents. Look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. I know, you know, we're in a generation that is kind of suspicious of authority. You know, parents... establishing the authority in their home. And, you know, we, we don't like that. It sounds kind of cold and anti-relational. But the Bible just does not speak that way. The Bible says it's a good thing for children to respect their parents and to have an authority structure in place. And so one of the ways that I kind of understand what discipline is, is that discipline is the application of God's law in the home. Okay, so, you know, I've maybe said this before, that, you know, uh, G.K. Chesterton says that our homes are like these little kingdoms. You know, and you live in this little kingdom, and, you, you know, the mom and dad are like the rulers of these kingdoms. And, uh, and like any good kingdom, what does a good kingdom have? It has just laws. Just laws make for freedom. Right? You know, that's true in our society. The thing that makes our society such a safe place and such a free place is because of the just laws and the structure that's in place. And so one of the questions we have to ask as we think about what the purpose of discipline is, is what does the law of God do? And John Calvin said that there are three things that God's law does for us. Three things. This is what they are. First, God's law shows us who God is and therefore shows us who we are and therefore drives us to Jesus. God's law shows us we're sinners so that we go to Christ and cling to Christ for our salvation. And that's one of the things that why discipline is so important for a Christian child to face discipline, to realize that they have a sinful nature. And that's when they're confronted with it is through discipline. Calvin said that the law is a mirror. And, you know, for a child to regularly know and to learn to say, I was wrong, that was sinful of me, that was unloving, I have this sinful nature and it just comes out of me to mistreat people and to yell at my mom and disobey my parents and steal toys from other people. That's in my nature and they should be troubled by that. That's one of the most important skills to learn in life is to be able to say I was wrong. And if you're never confronted with your sinful nature through discipline, you're not going to learn to say that. 
And, you know, I've, I've heard people say that they've grown up, maybe this is you, that they grew up in Christian homes, and they say, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home, I never heard the gospel. I never heard the good news about Jesus my whole childhood. And, but if we are disciplining our children, that means they are being confronted with their sin thousands of times throughout a childhood, and they would have thousands of opportunities for them to realize that they're a sinner and that the only hope for sinners is Jesus and to point them to Jesus. And so discipline is the way that we preach the gospel to our children is by regularly disciplining them and regularly leading them to Christ, who's the only one who can wash us, the only one who can heal us and who can forgive us. Okay? So that's the first thing the law does. You need the law to drive you to Jesus. If you're going to know Jesus, you've got to have the law convict you of your sin. So it has to be in the home. The second thing that Calvin says is that the law curbs injustice. So he says, like, you know, for example, in a society, criminals should be scared of the justice system that will keep them from doing evil. You know, you don't murder people, you don't steal because you don't want to go to jail. And that that's actually an appropriate use of the law. There is an element of fear that the law guards the weak and that the wrath of the law will come on those who use their strength to oppress the weak. And I think that's an appropriate place. You know, some of us think, is, you know, is there any place for wrath in a home? And I think the place for wrath is when we as parents are defending the weak. Now, usually when we, our children experience our wrath, it's not because we're defending the weak, it's because we're defending ourselves, you know, our own sense of pride, and they're, they're not respecting me, and they're not doing what I want, and that just makes me furious. And that's an unrighteous anger. But there is a place where children, you know, if, if an older brother, you know, older boy is beating up a little girl who's stronger, you know, that stronger men do not oppress weaker women, that does not happen in my kingdom. And if you do that in my kingdom, the wrath is, <laughs> of the law is going to fall on you. That, that should be a part of the atmosphere of a home. That's an important part of discipline. But there's a warning, right, that goes with that second use of the law um, because uh, we must be aware that curbing injustice has the possibility to turn us into a tyrant as a parent. You know, the Bible says that children have to obey their parents, which means that parents can just make up laws whenever they want. And whatever they say, the children have to do it. They can just create laws any, any moment. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, for conservative Christian parents, they often speak openly about the government, you know, not like overreaching and creating too many laws, and they're regulating everything, and they want freedom in our society. And then you go into their home, and it's like a totalitarian, you know, police state that every piece of furniture has a law attached to it. And there's just this multiplying of a law. And, and so um, we have to beware of the multiplying of laws in our homes. If you're suspicious about the government creating too many laws, you should be suspicious about yourself making laws in your home. Is there a sense of freedom? Because I'll tell you, one of the things that's happened in the Bible is that you are both the legislature, you're the lawmaker, you're the judge, and you're the policeman, all wrapped into one. And in our culture, we say that is a recipe for tyranny. And so we have to watch out that all of this power is, is given to us. And so one of the ways to do this is when you make a law or rule in your home, you should be able to tie it to the law of love. Can you defend this law with love? Because all of God's laws are, are hang on love for God and love for neighbor. And we should constantly be able to justify that to our children, explain our laws to our children. This is about, I'm training you in love, because God wants to give us a home of love. Okay? So the second purpose of the law is both to drive our it drives our children to Jesus. They need to see their sin in order to go to Jesus. Second, 
it does create order and peace and, and a protecting of the weak in our home. There's a third use of the law that Calvin says is that the law trains us in godliness. Look at what it says in verse 11 there in, in Hebrews, the Hebrews passage I read. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's a beautiful passage as you think about your vision for your children. The peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained. Discipline yields and trains us to have a peaceful spirit, a humble spirit. And so, you know, that raises a question. You might say, okay, are you saying that if we discipline our children, that discipline takes their sin away? Isn't that, don't we think that only Jesus takes people's sin away and not, not discipline or the works of a parent? And absolutely, you're right. And uh, our discipline can't take away our ch- children's sin. It can't deal with it. But it, as we talked about in our first sermon, when our children say they believe in Jesus, that means they have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of them. And they are able to have love and joy and kindness and to learn these things. They're capable of that because they have God's Spirit inside of them. They've been freed from sin. And so discipline actually trains them in that love in the same way that when God brought us through painful discipline in our lives, um, these experiences that we never would have asked for, those experiences humbled us. They made us soft. They made us less arrogant. And the discipline also does that in the lives of our children. Now, some of you might say, discipline doesn't always do that. You know, my parents, they, they were harsh. They were hard on me. And you know what? It didn't make me soft. It didn't make me humble. It made me, it made me keep people at a distance. It, you know, I, it made a hard shell around me. And it didn't, it didn't create love in me. And so what do we say about that? Well, this is, that leads to our second point. We first have to, why, the why of discipline. The why of discipline is that because parents... Because God loves us, and he disciplines us. And so discipline is an act of love that shows our children their sins so they can go to Jesus. It creates order and peace and a protecting of the weak in the home. And it also trains them in love. But the second uh, question we need to answer is how. How should we do discipline in the Christian home? And three answers to that that I want to give from the scriptures is... The rod, restitution, and repentance. Three things. The rod, restitution, and repentance. And, uh, you know, there's a lot, lot to say about these. So first, let's begin with the rod. And I know that probably at least some of you will be uh, horrified that I'm about to give some instruction on the spanking, which in our family we call discipline. We, call it, we don't call it spanking. We call it giving a discipline. And you'll notice in, in the, uh, the bulletin there, I put a string of verses that talk about the rod. And you might have uh, a couple of questions as we approach this. So let me answer those questions, first of all, before we jump into what the rod means. So first, um, all these verses that I list in there all come from the book of Proverbs. And you might say, you know, to, to wrap our whole understanding of discipline in this one book of the Bible, Proverbs, isn't that a little narrow? I mean, isn't there more to be said on the subject? Well, first of all, Proverbs is the book of the Bible that's about parenting. Go read the beginning of the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, and you'll find out it's about a a father speaking to his son and training his son about how to live in the world. And so it is the book on parenting. And whenever the Bible repeats something, 
it says it over and over again, that's a signal to you that the Bible says this is important, that we should regard it. So, you know, it's kind of like when the Bible says that the Lord is holy, holy, holy. It's to really emphasize that God is really holy. And so here we have this book on parenting that gives us repeated instructions that the rod is the way of wisdom for disciplining um, uh, our children. But the second question you might have is, okay, I understand this book was written a long time ago. I mean, Proverbs, you know, isn't that Solomon? That's like 1,000 B.C. We're going to have, you know, don't we now know as modern people that spanking children is some form of abuse? And can we really, as Christians, is that wise for us to do that? And, you know, I recognize there's a lot of studies that have actually come out uh, that spanking is, can be harmful to children. Let me just read to you. This is one article I read on it. It says this. The findings conclusively support results from earlier meta-analysis. Even non-abusive parental spanking harms children. Furthermore, kids who are non-abusively spanked remain at a greater risk for aggression, antisocial behavior, internalizing problems, low self-esteem, mental health issues, parent-child relational issues, lower cognitive abilities, and parental abuse. Also, the corrective effect is largely temporary. You may get compliance initially, but in the long run, the child becomes more resistant to the punishment, which risks more severe parent action. So he was like, man, wow, this is what, you know, university studies are saying this is a result of, 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 of spanking. I'm like, why, why should I take a risk like that? And what I would say is, first of all, I don't know what the average American household that spanks their children, what the atmosphere is like in that home. I'm certainly not endorsing any form of discipline. I think within the grounds of, of the way that the, the scriptures train us in this, and I'll just tell you, for me personally, you know, when we were just having kids and we were wrestling with this question, what we did was we looked around at the families where we saw adult children who loved the Lord and loved people. They were not harsh. They were humble. They were servants. They, uh, they were kind. And we say, you know, what instructions do you have for us? We heard again and again and again from parents, consistent, diligent, loving discipline of your children when they're young is essential. And I'll, t- I'll tell you now, we've seen quite a lot of fruit of, the, uh, fruit of that in, in, in our own family. And, uh, and what these families said is you do have a time when your children are young to address their sin and establish the authority in your home. If you don't do it when they're young, it's going to be more difficult when they get older. You may have to face it doubly. And so this is not a formula. Don't get me wrong. There's all kinds of ways that you can spank or discipline your kids, and that is going to be harmful for them. And this isn't automatically saying that your kids are going to be loving or they're going to love the Lord, but what this is is the wisdom of the Bible. And to say that I'm going to reject, the Bible doesn't say much about parenting. It just doesn't give us much. This is one of the things it gives us, and for us to say, you know, I'm just not going to do that, to me, I think is a gamble. So I wanted to set that before you. But that might raise another question for you. You might say, well, you know what? I grew up in a family where I was spanked, and it was harsh, and it was unloving, and I decided early on I am never going to do that to my children. And so if that's you, let me first of all say this does not give any endorsement to anything that your parents did to you. I deeply grieve if you grew up in a, in a harsh household and you feel like that really had an effect, and I would never want my kids to experience that. And the only thing that I would invite you to consider is that if your guiding principle for parenting is I'm going to be nothing like my parents, then what's the point of reference for your parenting? 
It's your parents. They're still guiding your parenting. They're still controlling your parenting. You're just reacting to them. Instead of saying, I'm going to come to God's word and say, what does God's word have wisdom for me to instruct me as a parent? And so that's what I'm inviting us uh, 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 to do this morning. And so I want to answer this question. What does the Bible tell us about the use of the rod? And I want to highlight a few things from these passages. Okay, The first thing about the rod is the rod must be painful. That's a hard thing to hear, but Hebrews mentions it in uh, chapter 12, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And um, as parents, I think we have to come to terms with the fact that unless you are willing to bring calculated pain into your child's life, like God has brought pain into your own life, then we're not loving our children. If we will never bring pain into their life, we'll never let them experience pain. And uh, that might be a hard thing for us to hear, but that's how God treats us. And so this is a major question, though. What does that look like? What does that look like to bring pain into your life? And I know for me, you know, I didn't grow up in a home where, uh, where I, was, I was ever spanked. And so when I was becoming a parent, I was like, can someone just even tell me exactly how you do this? Like, what does it look like? And, um, and Proverbs 23, this is in, your, in your, uh, your bulletin there. Proverbs 23, 13 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, he will save his soul from Sheol. That's a hard thing to hear, but I know for some of you, maybe you've heard that the rod is not talking about any kind of physical discipline. I think this verse shows that it is. It is striking with, with a rod, is what the scriptures tell us. And so we have to, of course, ask the question, what does that look like? What does that even mean? And so I'm gonna, we're going to be immensely practical here. Since I wanted someone to tell me exactly what do you do, I'm going to tell you exactly what we do. If that's, if that's okay and you can bear with me. But because some of you are answering that, asking that question, this is what it looks like in our home. We have a long chopstick. And uh, it's, not, you can't, it's not the chopsticks you get at a teriyaki place. Those are too small. You need a longer one. And uh, we do not use a hand because, you know, a hand is massive. And it's closer to kind of hitting. It's going to have a tendency to bruise. And, and what you want is a chopstick only sings, or some kind of stick like that, only stings for a moment. And I'll tell you, if you use a rod over a diaper or over pants, your child is going to laugh at you and say, is, is that really, what are you doing? Is that, what, uh, does that, are you trying to discipline me? But for us, most infractions, they result in two to four swats. And it should cause them to cry. There should be pain to it but it should not bruise them. And I'll tell you the thing that was so amazing to us when we first did this, and we were like, okay, here we go, we're going to try this, is to see how quickly our children rebounded from it. They would have a discipline, and then in a minute later, they were running around laughing, and they were back to their own self. That's the beauty of it, is how quick it is. It's not this ongoing argument, pleading. It's not long times and time out of difference. It is quick, it is swift, and it is resolved. But it must be painful. And so this is, that's the first thing, is the rod, the rod it must be painful. But the second thing is that the rod also must be wise. Okay? The purpose of the rod is to teach. Look at a couple of these verses. Chapter 22, verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I mean, first of all, do we believe that? That folly is bound up in our children? They're foolish. And they, that's why they need instruction from us. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far away. And then Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom 
But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And so what's so important is that the rod has to be surrounded with teaching. It has to be surrounded with instruction. There has to be a structure in place where it becomes very clear that they acknowledge what they've done wrong and they've admitted, they've admitted to that. You tell them exactly this is what the discipline is going to be. This is how many disciplines you're going to have. So it's very clear to them. It's not just you lashing out and you're just angry. and just That is not structured discipline. There should be a process. All just discipline has structure and process to it. And, um, and then you tell them the gospel. Over and over again, you have the opportunity to tell them the gospel. And you talk to your kids and you say, you know, you just yelled at your mom. Why did you do that? It's because of my sin in my heart. They should say that over and again. I have sin that just comes out of me. I can't even control it. I can't even say no to it. Who's the only one who can take away your sin? Jesus. What did Jesus do for you? He died on the cross to bear my sin. That's right. And do you believe in him? You invite them to profess their faith. Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? Yes, I love him and I trust him. Then he has taken your sinful heart and he has poured into your body, into your heart, his love. And his Holy Spirit is living inside of you to enable you to have love and joy for your mom. That's who you are. That's what your identity is. And there's a whole process. And to end with prayer and to pray together and pray for God's spirit. And then to end with reconciliation, to hug each other. You know, for me, I would like take my kids and we used to, when they were smaller, and I would like fall on the bed with them like a tree and we'd say, timber! And then it was, it was playful reconciliation. The, our relationship is not separated and there is joy and we go back into our day uh, trusting in God with that correction, okay? This is the teaching of wisdom. Now, you hear that whole structure, and you say, wow, you're going to do that every time you give your kid a discipline? That sounds like a lot of work. It is. It's a ton of work. And so that's the third thing that you need to learn, is not only that uh, the rod is painful, the rod must be wise, but third, the rod must be consistent. And if you've, uh, you know, maybe you've said, you know, I tried using the rod a few times on my kids, and it didn't work. That's not how it works. It's not like you would do it a couple of times and all of a sudden they're corrected. Of course not. They have a sinful, rebellious nature. It's not just corrected. Um, and so Proverbs 13:24 says this, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. The rod demands diligence and consistency, which means every time, you know, when a mother asks her child to do something and the child says no, you don't just let that go. That needs to be disciplined. It needs to be addressed right now. That doesn't mean you don't sometimes, you know, tell the kid, you know, you sure you want to think about what you're doing there? You know, we want to coach them along, but in general, we're not going to go on and on negotiating with them. If they say no, then we're going to correct that. We're training you to love your mom. The way that you love your mom is by obeying her. That's how she feels loved by you. I'm going to teach you how to love your mom. I'm going to train you in that. And, you know, there's, there are some people who will say, you know, I disciplined my kids, and within a few days, they were totally changed, and they were just obedient. And actually, I heard uh, one pastor who was talking about, <laughs> in a sermon, he said, you know, my kids, when they acted out in church, I just disciplined them one time, and we were done with that. I was like, man, that's probably because you're not sitting with the kids. You know, you're the pastor up front. You're not actually sitting with them, realizing what they're doing. And uh, um, that is not everyone, everyone's experience. And I, I'll tell you, I've had children that have required an uncanny amount of discipline, and discipline requires work. And probably the biggest reason we don't carefully, lovingly, and consistently discipline our children is because we're lazy. It requires, it is an act of service to, to, to continue in it, and it consumes our life. And you know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, when, I, when we were living in St. Louis, um, 
uh, it was Memorial Day. This is, my daughter Lucy said I could share this with you, and this is when she was three. Uh, we, uh, we went to the zoo, and the zoo in St. Louis was free. So it was Memorial Day at a free zoo. It was about 75 degrees out, and this place was packed. And uh, we were on the opposite side of the exit, which is probably like a half mile from our car. And we're walking with Lucy, and she says she sees some cotton candy. And she wants some cotton candy. We say, no, you can't have any cotton candy. And immediately she's melted into, you know, screaming fit on the ground. And there's just people everywhere. And I'm in seminary, and I'm thinking other seminary students are, you know, see me with my child. And uh, you're thinking, that guy's going to be a pastor with his child. You can't even get his child together. And, um, and so, you know, I had to pick her up. And, and to address that no, I mean, to pick her up, and I had to walk out of the zoo with her, screaming, you're hurting me. <laughs> I wasn't hurting her, but everyone else in the zoo was staring at us thinking, is that guy kidnapping that kid, or should we do something? And, what is it? and it's tremendously humiliating. It is work, and it's humiliation to enter into your kid's sin. And you know what? We're a church. We're all raising our kids before each other's eyes, and our kids disobey before each other. And to stop the conversation that I'm having and say, I need to address my child and maybe discipline them or confront it, that, that's hard to do. And we have to understand that that is a service that we want to give to our children because it is an act of love. It is love for them. And we understand, listen, we all know our children are sinners. Of course they're going to be sinning. And there's this freedom for us to address it and to confront it. And we do this discipline consistently, daily, regularly, lovingly, not over the course of weeks, not over months, but as over years we do it in faith. That's the work of parenting. But the fourth thing about the rod that I really want to also emphasize is also not only that the rod is painful, it's, it must be wise and have a conversation around it and give teaching. The, the rod uh, must be consistent and regular. The rod must be just. Um, and I, I do think that the biblical understanding of the rod is a very humane way to discipline our children. Um, but every Christian book on parenting says that you should not discipline if you are so angry, you cannot follow the structure that I just talked about. If the structure is getting thrown out, then you are disqualified from, uh, from disciplining your, your, your child. And so anger is generally unjust, right? The rod does not give you permission to be vindictive, to vent frustration on your children, to repay your children for wronging you. And this is why it must be controlled and structured. And I also think that when we discipline our children, we should tell them exactly what we're doing. We should be able to talk with them. It also should be done in private. You know, I, I remember being in a church, and there was a, uh, I was in the cry room with a mom, and she's just, like, whapping her kid, like, right in front of us and threatening her kid right in front of us. And I, we need to remember what we talked about last time, that our children are made in the image of God. They deserve respect and dignity. And we should honor that. And we need to find ways to do that. And when we do things in public to humiliate them, we need to confess that to them and admit that it was wrong and ask for their forgiveness. So there should be a sense of justice. And I put a quote from you on page three of your bulletin. If you, if you turn there, this is from John Stott. And I really think he captures the heart of children and understands, understands uh, how children have a, an innate sense of justice. This is what he says. Children know, th know this instinctively. They have an inborn sense of both. If they have done something wrong they, that they know is wrong, they also know that they deserve punishment and they both expect and want to receive it. 
They also know at once if the punishment is being administered either without love or contrary to justice. The two most poignant cries of a child are, nobody loves me, and it isn't fair. Their sense of love and justice comes from God who made them in his image and who revealed himself as holy love at the cross. Okay, so there must be a sense, we, we must protect justice in our homes, okay? A couple other questions, I just need practical questions about the rod that I want to address briefly. So one question that some of you had is, what age should you be doing this for a, chi- <clears throat> for a child? And, you know, the Bible doesn't say this. This is my personal judgment on it, is that I think as soon as a child is showing willful defiance, right, they understand that you're saying no, and they're saying, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's the time to begin some form of, of, of discipline or some form of the use of the rod. When should it end? My personal judgment is that when kids get to an age when they're more private about their bodies, that's the time to stop uh, administering discipline on a bare bottom. So I, I, I doesn't say that in the Bible, but I think that one of the reasons that we hold on to the rod and keep using it is because it does give us a sense of control and immediate obedience, and we have to transition out of that. Hebrews said that fathers use discipline for a short time. It is a time to establish the authority in the home and establish uh, the, the sense of the authority of, of the parents, and, but we have to move on to that, and we have to be more creative and learn more creative ways to disciple and, and discipline our children, okay? Second question you might have is, what if I'm a foster parent and I cannot use the rod? Now, the first thing, of course, is you must obey the law, okay? You, you obey the law, and I would go to people and ask counsel for other people who are doing, you know, foster care. I would talk to your social worker. What kinds of things should I do? Get counsel from them. There's all kinds of resources, but most of all, you should, you should know that God knows what you can and can't do. He knows the situation you're in. He is a father to the fatherless. He's devoted to your work, and he's going to support you, and he's going to give you grace of what you need. He's going to give you the wisdom you need when you need it, okay? So this means that we can't be overly dependent on the rod because we will have to find other, uh, so we will have to find other forms of discipline. So the second thing, now I spent a lot of time on that one. The second insight about discipline from the scriptures is not only the use of the rod, but also what's called restitution. And restitution is a principle in the Old Testament law, which says, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? So it says, you know, if you steal $10 from someone, then the consequence should be not only that you give $10 back to the person, but you give them another $10. And so that the punishment matches the crime. It's a way of kind of guarding justice. And um, if... This is something that we should constantly be thinking about as parents. You know, some of you maybe grew up in homes where, you know, you forgot to take out the trash and you get grounded for a month or something. And it was totally disproportionate, the punishment that you were getting. So we should constantly be asking ourselves, is the punishment that I'm giving proportionate to the wrong that was done? And uh, Daniel had shared with me that one of our professors in seminary was teaching about this, and he had talked about using this principle with his, his middle school daughters. And, uh, you know, when they would come into the home and they'd drop their bag on the ground, and they had said, you know, you're supposed to put your bag in the closet or on this hook, and they kept not doing it. And so he says, okay, you know, book bad crime means book bag punishment. And so the discipline was that for that next week, they didn't get to use their book bag when they went to school. So they got a trash or a um, uh, grocery, plastic grocery bag to carry all their textbooks in, you know, and they're kind of walking around school like this. You know, and picture the middle school girl all embarrassed. She's like, okay, give me my book back. I don't want to look like a fool like that, you know. But there's a matching of the discipline with 
uh, with the wrong that's been done. I think that's a part of biblical uh, wisdom. And that means that discipline is a creative process. And so in the younger years, the work is just how regular it is. You're doing it all the time. In the older years, the work is the creativity of it. And so we need to transition into that creativity um, of discipline. Okay, last thing I want to talk about, about how of discipline. The rod, restitution. The last is repentance. And I'll just tell you that I, entering into this process of confronting the sins of, sin of our children is a mess. There's nothing in my own life that has caused me to see my own sin more than trying to obey the Lord in this. And it's not just our children's sin that's being dealt with. It's our own sin. And all of us have a tendency either towards intimidation with our children or indulgence. And to do this, we are going to fail over and over and over again. And so what this means is this whole process is about our children wrestling with their sin. They're sinners, and it's hard, and they don't want to. And we're sinners, and we're wrestling with our sin, and we're together going to Christ, who is a Savior and a friend to sinners. It bonds us closer to him, and it bonds us closer to one another. And what that means is that this whole vision of discipline is not contrary to the gospel. It's right at the heart of the gospel. And the reason we should do it is because it's going to lead our homes, our whole family, to Jesus, who alone can save us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, pray for my friends here as we handle a difficult topic. So you've called us to the difficult work of parenting and for those who aren't parents here, just to be a part of a community with many children. We pray that you would give us grace to honor you, to do this work. I pray for the parents who are discouraged here this morning. Pray that you draw near to them, encourage them with your grace and forgiveness, but also strengthen us to love our children, to draw near to them, to have many conversations about their sin, about our sin, and about the good news that's in Jesus. And so guide us that we would see these children growing up into adulthood, saying, I heard the gospel thousands of times throughout my childhood. It was the very thing that held us together as a family. And so would that be our story, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.